Hi, I'm Jim O'Shaughnessy. And I'm panicked about not being panicked. This episode with Jim O'Shaughnessy went live on November 10th. Enjoy. For schnizzle. (laughs) (laughs) For schnizzle. What is up? I'm excited today because uh, Jim's back. Jim O'Shaughnessy. Awesome. Yeah. He uh, convinced him to put on some slippers. Uh, sit up at the side of his bed for once, you know, start doing some work, show up, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not this retirement stuff. Guy's been on fire. He's, he's got new companies he's starting and investments. So last time we just had him on to talk about, uh, the real panic, you know, I've, I've come back from vacation, fired out of a cannon, only want to talk to my close friends, um, or pimp one of our companies as, as you know, but none of this in between <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Okay. This show now becomes about my friends pimping some of my companies that I think uh, deserve it and need some attention. And then uh, LP stories. We Coming up is Van Eck, and we've got Ann Van Dam coming up. Like Some of our LPs are super interesting people. So this show becomes about Howard. Speaking of Howard. Yes. Thank you, Knut. Uh, I was just telling Jim this story uh, before that uh, I got a compliment from my son. Have, you, have your sons ever complimented you? On a rare occasion. I mean, they'll send an Instagram who goat or your good dad on like what do you get what does he want when he says that well i don't know but i'm saying are you even forgetting what they want because they want something <laughs> but like have you ever felt you've got a compliment that like felt almost legit yes okay and how does that feel it feels really good it feels really good because you're a good you dad. know it's tough for them to you're say not, anything like that yeah you're not exactly because emotions and uh the coastal elites and hillary and all those things not mm-hmm. that those are related but people say that a lot but anyways, it's great to get a compliment in the wild from one of your children. So I'm in Vegas with uh, Max. We went to a hockey game. It was Money 2020. And his friend Luke, great kid, uh, is pitching me on why he should take over uh, social media for us. You know, I, I didn't know he listened to the podcast. Great kid. Him and Max are like tight. And who knows what these kids are talking I thought they only drank and shot up and stuff. But it sounds like they're listening to podcasts <laughs> and vaped. So, and gambled and uh, did uh, EDM parties and, and uh, bumble dates. So, anyways, we're, we're sitting there at the bar. Gary, Gary's pretty much lit. Tom's lit. Um, Tarhini's into it. was just a great group of guys All right. at the bar. And Max is there with his buddies. And Luke's pitching me. And Gary comes over. And, and, and really, Gary's like an operator. Gary goes, okay, I want to hear this pitch. And, and, he, and he does pretty good. And he's waxing poetic about our podcast and how 20-year-olds will like it and, you know, we're not doing enough to promote it to the younger demographics. And, I, and he's, he's right. He's right. So Gary goes, he's right. And then and then Max is, chimes in and he goes, Dad, you really are the funniest businessman in America. So uh, he wasn't doing it to suck up. That is a compliment. It's a compliment. So now I feel pressure to keep this going on, even for an audience of two in Luke and my son who are listening. <laughs> So, uh, and so we're going to have them uh, grow my audience. This Great is, idea. Uh, I think Luke will be doing all the work, not a, not a, not a smack at Max, who's busy uh, ordering other people around uh, as well. <laughs> and, um, and, but Luke, this Luke's got like 10 jobs, but he's, he's offered to do another job 
uh, on the side during his PGA program. All right. So we got a lot to talk about today with Jim. Jim O'Shaughnessy, he is, how can I describe it? He's one of my favorite people, mentors. He's uh, he's in his early 20s. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're starting to say everybody's in their 20s, which is code for uh, somewhere in their uh, early 60s, just to appeal to the younger audience. <laughs> and he is a uh, parent, uh, businessman, entrepreneur, started O'Shaughnessy Funds. Uh, that has recently been acquired uh, by Franklin, I believe. We never talked about it, but it's not important unless he wants to. But now, uh, back in the investing game, starting something new. He was the first guest on this show. We, we've we had him back a lot. He came on a couple of weeks ago to talk about that. Uh, he wasn't panicked. I forget what he said. He Just calmly walked through. Yeah. Uh, since then, we had another 75 basis point hike. We've had Facebook implode. We have a new owner at Twitter. We have um, the midterms coming up. We got some stuff going on. And so I want to just go do some current events. And then, and, and Twitter's a favorite topic of ours. And then talk a little bit about the fact that he's panicked, that he's not panicked. That may mean nothing, but we'll, we'll gloss over that. And then get into new investments. All right, so we ready? Yes, we are. Let's get Jim. Jim. Hello. Hello. Let's get. Hello. So let's get right (laughs) to it. Have you. What are we getting to? Yeah, we're getting into, first of all, where we're at. Another 75 basis point hike. You mentioned that you were panicked, that you weren't panicked. Does that mean anything or or, uh, just disregard? Yeah, no. you, You always want me to have something that I panic about. And as you know, I don't usually panic. So. Maybe I got a little panicked about the fact that everyone else is setting their hair on fire and running around, and <laughs> I'm just kind of dude-like sitting there contemplating. And I feel like, well, contemplating is a good word, because I was just talking to a really good investor, Billy, at Upper 90. He, he, he's more of on the lending. He does equity and lending. And um, we were just catching up, because the last year for him has been all about the grind, right? Like restructurings. Uh, companies in trouble. I mean, when I invest in a company that's in trouble, they're in trouble. I mean, we're equity investors. You know, you can't you can't save them all. Um, but uh, you know, debtors. You know, that's when they roll up their sleeves. Um, so for the last eighteen months, for me, it's been like you know, batting down the hatches. Uh, prices haven't been attractive for me, so I kind of stayed out of trouble. But I couldn't really, stra- uh, as Trump would say, strategy or strategy. I had no strategy going for for a while. I couldn't think strategy. Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't strategy much because <laughs> prices were so stupid. So I didn't have a plan. Right? There was no plan because any plan would involve doing stupid things. So flash forward today, I'm so strategically engaged in opportunities because prices are down fifty percent. I think much further to go, at least on the private side. Um, all that money is getting put to work, good or bad. It's getting put to work, and so that'll go through the system. And so we're getting closer to the other side, which means the potential for growth. Right? We don't know what the Fed's going to do. We don't know what the economy is going to do. But the other side of this is potential of growth. I have my ideas. Where Where does your head uh, sit on that? So uh, you know, as I said last time. There's a strategic answer and there's a tactical one, right? So strategically, I think most people listening to your podcast should just like keep doing what they were doing, right? 
if if they're if they've got a pretty good process in place for putting money away and putting it into the market, no matter what happens to be happening in the market at any given time, you know they're essentially buying stocks as you point out, fifty percent on sale. Um, and if they're young enough, and when I say young enough, I mean like even if you're fifty and you want to retire at sixty-five, that's another fifteen years, man. So. Like for for those people, um, just keep doing what you're doing. Avoid the headlines and and whatnot. On on the tactical side, you know, this is something that I had sort of seen coming. You and I actually talked about it a little bit uh, a while back. Like you you can't set the the uh, opportunity cost at zero, right? You cannot have a hurdle rate of zero. And not expect people to do insane things mm-hmm. like, of course, I'll buy that NFT for $100 million or whatever. And I don't mean to bag on NFTs or any particular investment. Like, of course, I'll buy whatever stock is trading at 10,000 times sales. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, there, the implicit hurdle rate doesn't exist, right? Yeah. And so the equity cost of capital is a very useful tool to help people make better decisions. Yeah. And what we're seeing here is the Fed fucked up. They're not admitting that they fucked up, but they did. They kept the, their foot on the gas for too long. And, you know, then everybody was like loving the the crazy bull market. I mean, who wouldn't, right? If you're already long yeah, equities. I loved it. Of course, right? Mm-hmm. It's fun. And if you're long equities, man, you want uh, the Fed to keep the pedal to the metal. But the fact is that I think that their response during the financial crisis was actually appropriate because that money didn't go into circulation. That money was an accounting mm-hmm. trick. Yeah, we talked about uh, that. Yep. Yeah, right. So this time around, uh, it got into circulation. And so to have a, a market that that is properly functioning, let's put it that way, there there has to be, uh, you know, decision comes from the Latin desare, which means to cut off, and and so if you're going to make a decision, you're going to cut off other opportunities in favor of the ones you choose. Having an equity cost of capital, which you know you can look at it in any way you want, it used to be LIBOR when that was still around. Uh, you know, it could be Fed funds rate or it could be the 10-year T-bill. But having a real number there, I think, brings a discipline to investors, both public and private, that was absent during the the crazy period. And so I think that over time, even though it's painful right now, that, you know, the Fed's doing the right thing here. and. You know, we, well, you're a few years younger than I am, but like when I bought my first house in 1982, like mortgage rates were 17%. And that was because uh, Paul Booker got, uh, got cover from the politicians, Reagan, and, and both sides of the aisle. We got to fucking stop this crazy inflation. And he did. So that caused a massive recession. But within the seeds of that recession were, an almost uninterrupted bull market in equities from 82 through the brief little crash of 87 and then back on through 2000. 
Good point. The question is, we didn't trust them on the way, if they're not admitting their mistake of the past, uh, who's to say they know what they're doing and should they be waiting? It's really interesting because it's just an experiment, of course. And there's two simple rules about fighting the Fed or not fighting the Fed. But what's interesting is, you know, it's easy to pick on, it's easy to beat up yourself. You know, I've been tough. On, on people and myself, but even the best. You know, Elon Musk was out there selling his own stock in November and then paying $44 billion for Twitter in November of this year. Uh, and he and he knew the data, right? Like, he knew even when he bought it in April that, you know, we were either in or headed into a bear market. So, you know, let's talk about this one from a few angles. I want to talk about it from, like, what do you think's going to happen, if anything? So I'm, I don't have any investments in any of Musk's companies because Me neither. They, Me neither. They, they, they violate all of our ratios, right? Uh, because they're very richly valued even now. But I find Musk to be a absolutely fascinating character who um, he is playing a whole different level of chess than most people here. And, you know, the, the Twitter thing is interesting to me because, as you know, I have long maintained that Twitter has the option, right, if they don't fuck things up too badly, to really emerge as the world's first, you know, continuous global intelligence network. And I still think they have, by the way, that yeah, for sure. ability. That doesn't you know, go away because there's, there's enough smart people that need it for the drug. Yeah. And, and so, I don't know. I like some of his suggestions, like open sourcing the algos. Uh, I'm a big fan, as we'll probably get to later with one of my more recent investments in open uh, AI as opposed to closed. I think that that's, that's pretty cool. The whole blue checkmark thing, as you know, I, got, I'd never, I never asked for a blue checkmark. Right. Right. One day I logged on and there it was. Yeah, me too. But and that was way I, old when you had friends there and they just gave them to you. Right. Well, mine wasn't. Mine was only like a few years ago. Uh, and my reasoning was they gave it to Patrick. And so they felt sorry for the old man. Uh, and so they gave me one too. You gave the fun guy uh, one. But <laughs> 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 so, so, but the point is like, I, I don't know. I, I just can't get worked up about letting regular people who want to be verified be verified. Like, let them fucking be verified. Yep. If, you know, in one fell swoop, you wipe LinkedIn out, right? I mean, because the reason that a lot of people are on LinkedIn is because it verifies who they are. And I'm not saying that, that everyone on Twitter should be verified. Some of my favorite accounts are anonymous. Right. And, and they should be allowed to remain anonymous. But I yeah, do pseudonymous. It can't win if it's not pseudonymous. Right. And listen, there's a lot of legit people who, you know, understand the power of the platform of Twitter and they want to be known as themselves. Yeah. Um, and I think you should let them. I don't think it should be this mysterious sorting hat a la Harry Potter. You know, well, you know, you're Gryffindor and you're this, you know, the, the, the problem with old Twitter was it was just so opaque and it got very political. And as you know, I try to avoid politics like the plague. And, and so 
like that wasn't a great way. And and of course, you're going to generate a lot of hatred for the the dreaded blue check marks if if you make the process of forgetting one mysterious. Right. So I'm I'm all in favor. I don't you know, if he wants to throw Twitter blue in. Great. Good for him. I get it. If he open sources the algos, even better. Um, and, you know, if he's a little more le- – and, you know, the other thing is moderation is not censorship, right? Correct. So you can have – you can have a – well, you know with stock twits. Yeah. You can have a moderated uh, environment where literally when you know it's a bot or some lunatic, you just shut them out of the deal. Yeah. Um, but – censorship is a different thing, right? And like all of the various, you know, blue versus red, these people have lost their fucking minds and, and they're, they're starting to see each other as enemies. And my message to both of them is gang, we're all Americans here. We all want the same thing. We all want the country to succeed. We might differ on how that's going to happen, but come on, like, the, the, the person who votes for the candidate you don't like is not a non-person to be exiled to a re-education camp. No, it's weird. I, a couple of things I want to say. I, I, I don't know why I don't have the problem, and I'm sure I don't have as many followers as a lot of these guys who are, who are complaining about trolls, but I don't get trolled. And when I get trolled, I generally deserve it. Um, I didn't feel I deserved it during the Robin Hood scandal because you know it was a seed invest you can't control when you did it but i'm saying i was taking fire from all sides yeah because i was very front-facing person in the robin hood just because i I've, i was a robin hood investor always talking about it yeah so there was no way to avoid the incoming fire and uh it was pretty brutal but it was not personal it was just stupid at many levels meaning like you couldn't talk to them they just were taking shots yeah and, and, and it passed Okay, but then it did pass. And what I take issue with is this Musk and his his cronies right now. I don't know why they're his cronies other than they are. I mean, people have friends from a long time ago. But to listen to the all-in guys doing all the things that they say everybody shouldn't. You know, I'm listening to David label people. I'm listening to Chamath totally mis-explain trolls. So I want to get something clear about trolls, and you tell me if I'm, I'm off. Like I said, I got trolled. I get trolled for Robin Hood. Not only did I get trolled by Robin Hood, I actually got trolled by Chamath, who was like, ah, you should use SoFi. You know, this was during his SPAC era. It's like SoFi offers the same. You know, so I was getting trolled by Chamath, right? I was getting trolled by <laughs> Scott Galloway. And Scott Galloway is like, Robin Hood's evil. Sidebar, I have an investment in public, which, you know, like, so all the trolls. <laughs> I, I got it from the fucking real trolls and the guys who are against <laughs> trolls. Okay, so I really have been on all sides of this. So when I hear these idiots, and I like them, and I res- I respect them enough, they read, they're smart, they start a company, they definitely know stuff. But to lie as openly as they have, for example, Chamath, ah, the trolls. I go, Chamath, you lost billions of retail dollars. <laughs> Those are the people that live on Twitter. Those are the people you loved an hour ago when they were printing t-shirts like in Chamath We Trust. Those are the people you buried in your SPACs. No, you didn't purposely bury them. I don't even want to get into like how markets work because no one wants to listen. But like to hear them talk about trolls when 
generally you get trolled because you deserve to get trolled. So, so there's that side that I, you know, I've stepped into the quagmire on Twitter and just trying to like get it out there. And that's free speech, right? Like being able to like chime in the free speech that they're talking about, I don't think is possible. Does Elon just playing a game or do you think he really feels there's like a free speech thing here? You know, first off uh, about the trolls, um, I don't get trolled very much either. And like you, when I do, I deserve it because I said something stupid or fuck something up. Right. Um, and w- what I do with trolls is very simple. I just ignore them. I, I, I yes, have found, you have to ignore them. Yeah, because I, I have found that for the most part, most of them are just psychic vampires who are trying to suck every part of your soul out of you. And the way I look at that is I try to be as sympathetic as I can be in terms of thinking, you know, there must be something really, really shitty going on in this person's life right now, where where they feel that screaming at somebody they don't know on the internet is going to make them feel better. So what I typically do is I mute them. Mm-hmm. And because like 10% of the time, 15% of the time, uh, you know, somebody was just having a bad day. And, you know, somebody will say, hey, th- don't you follow so-and-so? And I'm like, I don't think so. And then they'll find out that I have them muted and they'll, you know, make the case for them. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, I can't like, go mute because they find you and ask you. And now you're in a rabbit yeah, you hole. Yeah, do. Yeah. Well, no, I, I, I do mute because, like, I think that blocking should be reserved for, like, truly, you know, beyond troll status in other words when they tag you in to their their money twitter bullshit or you know trying to sell something i goodbye i block them yeah um but so as far as elon and the free speech stuff um it's hard you know it's like one of those things that you know what do i know this is just my opinion i don't know elon personally and like, I do know some people who do know him and like, I get consistent reports that the guy is really, really smart. And so is this a, is this a feint where you ask for, you know, it's a classic old strategy, as you know, Howard, yeah. you know, we, we go and if you really want a million dollar investment, ask for 10. Yeah. Good point. And and then and then back it off to to what you really want in the first place. So I kind of think that maybe that's what's going on. And I don't know. Somebody was talking to me recently about like their little pet theory, and then I actually saw it. I think in the journal that the the big thing Elon really was after here was payments. Well, I and think there's I a huge opportunity there. Yeah, I agree that there's a huge opportunity. Yeah. No question about it. Mm-hmm. But I haven't I haven't like read enough or studied enough to have a reasonable opinion yeah. that Well proof you know, proof of payments is that Jack, who created Twitter, went out and started a payments company when they kicked him yeah. out. Meaning yeah. you know, the greatest thing Twitter has going for it, and I hate beating on Jack, is that Jack's only focused on wrecking one company now. So if Elon wanted to get into <laughs> payments, and I can't tell why they're friends, I know. I can't tell why they're friends because, you know, Jack is just too weird um, and did such a bad job. Like, did, And again, the board let him do a bad job. But yeah. I think payments is the thing. You, the one thing that Twitter is, because what you said is like that 
24-hour opinion. I forget what you called it. The, the, it's got the true chance to be the, the hive mind. Well, yeah, the intelligence. Yeah, network. with hive mind comes money. And Twitter, of course. Was, Twitter was the ultimate protocol for tipping. And, um, you know, I, I'm not in the payments industry, but it's the ultimate protocol for sending payment. And, you know, closing it is one of the reasons Bitcoin probably took off. We will never know, but I really think, and that's why he could just be fucking people with the free speech because uh, he knows he can't win that battle. And I give him credit if he's just going to take all that flack and still screw everybody. Because it is to me about <laughs> it is to me about payments. And maybe he has the skin, the thick skin to just take it all from both sides right now. And I would appreciate that in the end if he just ditched the free speech thing and went into utility for this thing. Because that's where it's at. Yeah. Everybody gets utility. Well, Everybody's like everybody gets their own utility out of it. Politicians get it. I get it. You get it. It's you've got to pay, you've got to figure out what the utility is going to be. The abusers take care of themselves. What's super interesting about what this is is like, why are we talking about Trump? Trump, Trump. I doubt he brings him back, but like I want to go on the record, you don't bring back a Trump, or at least I wouldn't, given the choice. I wouldn't take this job because of that reason. I don't want to get killed over these decisions, um, but they're decisions that you know Elon's took on. You can't put the guy back. He's not going to change. We're going to end up in the exact same situation and the same with Kanye. These people are, I listen to them say, well, they're going through episodes and I'm like, what? So now we're their, now we're their baby monitor and we have to take them <laughs> off while we're, they're going through their episodes and decide when they're, I cannot believe what I hear out of these smart people. Like, yeah, you can't kick them off, but we can police them. Yeah. You know? So, so anyways, I think there's something there with payments. And I think there's something there if they just say, you know what, stick your free speech up your ass. You got so much free speech here, you can't even handle it. And uh, here's a set of rules. If you're a lunatic, as defined by someone who just raises people's tensions, you're just yeah. you're not here for the greater good. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not allowed to just come here and take a shit and watch everybody stare at it. I agree. Okay, so let, let's move on to the other end of this now. We, we spent a lot of time the last two podcasts talking about the market. Eventually, something good happens. Listen, if we've got another Volcker regime and we're only halfway through the rate rise, you know, it's only going to make the bull market better later. But yeah. boy, it could be ugly for another year or a year and a half. But assuming we're like halfway through it at worst, I think we're halfway through it and maybe further along in terms of price correction through it um, because at some level, Facebook is a buy, you know, like I'm, I'm glad they're punishing it now. Just get it out of the way. Like price will force him to do it more than a board will force him to do it. You know? Yeah. So, so now that we're there, what are the things that have got, like I said, gotten you out of bed, got your slippers on talking to me? I know you're doing stuff. So what are the like things that get you excited? So, uh, I'm incredibly excited in uh, AI. Uh, we did uh, one of the first more professional investments um, in it in August of this year. I'm also the executive chairman of the board of directors of Stability AI. Um, I think that AI in general, not just Stability AI, but AI writ large, is reaching an inflection point after which it goes exponential. I think that AI is going to be a net massive positive 
for humanity. I am very well aware of the lurking downsides that it also presents, and I take them very seriously and doing as much as I can to support. Uh, for I'll give you an example. So deep fakes. When I talk to friends who are not like really into artificial intelligence and like one of the first things they say is, yeah, but these deep fakes, man. And like, I totally understand that fear. And so one of the first things that we're going to announce uh, through Stability AI is a competition for uh, deep fake detection software. Um, Stability AI is going to put up 100,000 US and O'Shaughnessy Ventures is going to put up 100,000 US. So a prize of 200,000 for software that will pass our hurdles, right? And if we get a winner, and I think we will, um, and by the way, parenthetically, I understand that this is an ongoing thing, and it's gonna we're gonna have to keep having these contacts because the the fakes are gonna get better and better, and so the detection software has to get better and better as well. But if we do um, if we do get a, a algorithm that is let's call it I don't know just arbitrarily. If it's got a 90% hurdle rate, in other words, it identifies 90% of all deep fakes on the internet, we're going to release it for free. We're going to make a big deal of sending it to all the media companies so that they all have it on their computers. It will be in all the app stores and be free so that everyone can have it on their devices and everything. And uh, I think that that will that will help. Uh, it's not going to completely eliminate, as I said, because clever, you know, black hats are going to stay clever. Um, but so that's one initiative that we're going to take. Then the other one is like, you know, the ethics of AI, which is a really broad subject. And right now it's all generative art and artists uh, like being really upset because they're, they feel that their model or that their particular art has been stolen from them. That isn't actually true, but you, you, what you want to do is not argue with them about that. You just want to reframe it as, look, this might be a really cool and interesting new tool for you to use. And we found that many, many artists have taken it that way. But AI ethics in general, you know, one of our one of our initiatives at Stability AI is to make sure that the models get trained in a bunch of different languages, not just English, right? Because right now, the fact is, AI as we experience it today is basically American slash European, English speaking European. And, you know, there are a lot of different cultures in the world. And India, for example, we already have an initiative underway there. They should be represented. And um, their cultural stories and heroes and mores and myths should also be available for compression through, you know, the the AI. I, I just think that AI is going to be in everything 10 years from now. And I think it's going to provide a net benefit in things like I'm wildly bullish on the uh, research in medicine and, and, and bio type uh, research 
because there's so many things that you can do as they, they call it in silico, right? In other words, in the AI, where you can recreate exactly a human lung or what have you, and then do things that you couldn't ethically do to a human population. And I think ultimately, that's going to carry over to lab animals as well. When the AI gets good enough so that we don't have to torture rabbits anymore or rats, we're going to stop doing that. But I think that what I've seen that's available right now and what's coming, I just think it. I think it's extraordinary and, and so great for humanity. And then, you know, just general things like, you know, um, I, I was talking to my lawyer and he's like, yeah, I'll never use it. Why would I ever use AI? And I'm like, how much well, of that, how much of that negativity cause he billed you for saying that <laughs> that was 50 bucks just a bit. I know. I know. So my lawyer and I'm like, well, I'll tell you how you're going to use it. You're going to, you kept electronic records. He was a really early adopter. He's getting on now and he's not so pro tech as he used to be. Anyway, I said, you've got, what, 40 years of electronic records? And he goes, yeah. And I said, and you're not going to buy an app that lets the AI go through all of your former cases and say, oh, Mr. Lawyer, I noticed that every time you invoke XYZ law, you win. And whenever you try to make the argument from this particular position, you lose. So, and he's like, oh, well, then of course I'm going to have it. And I said, and so is every other lawyer, because they're going to have to. It's going to be one of those things, I think, where, and th by the way, this is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate about it being open and controlled by many and not closed and controlled by a few. We are talking about a, like a technology that like I dreamt of when I was in my 20s. I have the journals. I'm just rereading them. And, you know, it's here now. So I think that education is another thing that it's going to rapidly improve. There's just so many things that it's going to be very, very, very helpful for. As long as we keep the risks in mind, and there are many, um, and, and try to um, you know, mitigate them as best we can in an ongoing basis. So I'm super bullish on AI, mostly on, on I, as much as I love the generative art, you know, that's going to become a commodity very, very quickly. Um, right, because there'll be so much. It'll be hard. It'll take decades for the experts to decide. Yeah. And, yeah, and that, so that's, that's, that's beautiful and it's cool and, and, and it's going to change our homes and how yeah. we look at things. But it's going to take decades for people to decide what's worth something. It is very it's, risky. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to definitely work its way through society. And there's always the thing called the cultural lag, right? Mm -hmm. Some people get tuned into these things sooner than other people yeah. and others take a long time. It's the adoption curve. Yeah. Uh, but, but the other thing that I think is going to be like really amazing is the tools themselves that other developers make because they now have access to the trained models. And, you know, I, it would take a long time to go into the trained models, but dude, man, like GPT-3 was the equivalent being trained on the equivalent of a human being reading for 500,000 years. And, and, and now it's 5 million years.
we humans aren't designed to grasp the exponential function, right? Yep. So with, with, we've got these huge com- quantum computers in our skulls, but like for, for most of us, it's one, two, three, four, a lot. Slow down. Right? Yeah. And, and so I just think that the, the applications that are going to be coming from the people using these open models, it's just going to be so cool. And they're going to give the tools to people that will make one of my other kind of little daydreams maybe come true, which is, I think I'm still going to be alive when there is a billion dollar single person LLC. Well, there was a 20 person billion dollar, I mean, Instagram. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, but it was a C corp. So you're saying, but also let me clarify that. Let me say, uh, this is a company that isn't being priced at a unicorn. This is a company that is, is a billion because of its actual revenues and its actual cash flow. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the only way that happens in my opinion is that the tools that allow leverage of an unprecedented scale something no human being has ever seen in history. And we've got it. And it's coming online right now. Hmm. And it's this is why I started the series called The Great Reshuffle. All of the old models are collapsing. Holly. Yeah, they're collapsing. And, and, and so you've got to stay tuned into what's going to work. Why is it going to work? And how is it going to be different than the old way of doing things? So, mm-hmm. for example, networks. I think networks are going to become exponentially more powerful and important. Why? Because in the old days, it was like your network was pretty much where'd you go to college, right? Where'd you grow up? Who are you your know, parents? If you were religious, what, yeah, who are your parents, right? Who are your parents' friends, right? And that's you have how a blue you got check your mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did but, there? But, but, but the point, yeah, I do. Okay. I do. We, and, and it's funny because we both have blue check marks. So we're, we're being, uh, anyway, but, but, but now that's gone, man. Gone. It's very hard to move your physical zip code, really easy to move your digital one. Mm-hmm. And so essentially what's happened here is time, space, geography have all collapsed. Well, we've seen and that before, now, down to, Downtown Abbey, right? Like we watched the show because it was it was playing out much slower change, right? And yeah. then the sewing machine was what tipped everything. It was always changing. You know, they had 900 servants living under the house and that was the soap <laughs> opera. But then the sewing machine came along and then the exponential change of the farm not being a farm, you know, you know, you know the power shift yeah. fr- of the family. Totally. And so you're seeing and, it now, like you just said. And, and the good news is, for people who had been disenfranchised from that because of where they lived, because of where they were born, whatever, they don't have to be disenfranchised anymore. Correct. And like w- one of the things we're doing with O'Shaughnessy Ventures is we're going to do a series of fellowships, kind of in the model of Fields Fellowship, although you can go to college if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we'll, we'll basically say, okay, so we're going to fund you. We want to take be able to take advantage of your IP, but we you can take advantage of it too, right? So if you want to go off and do something else with it, go go ahead. But just so long as as we can as well, and then we're going to plug them into our network. And like it doesn't matter if they're in Kenya or whether they're in the Bronx, 
it it matters the 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 skill of whatever they do right is going to be what determines whether they succeed or fail yeah and and we also have a ton of these new opportunities like things in education we're looking at a financial educator right now who is very interesting um who you know has made a, a big splash and the leverage inherent in their ability to do it on a broader scale is just it's there so it, it, it you know the the scope of new things that i mean like if you're a private company investor the, the you're you're going into a golden era here in my opinion i know, I know. i've been been way i'm still uh because i have one trick you know i i've been trying to think about what comes next so i've been that's why i'm excited to be back doing the podcast is i gotta i have some inklings and and it's and it's boring it's around way not as sophisticated stuff as what you're talking about much less tech but it's about i have this thesis about because i'm more consumer and less you know i went to asu so that's like devry with with good looking people the uh, <laughs> say song me. I don't know. It's like Devry, but with sun, and uh, or Al's refrigeration school, but with women. The uh, <laughs> so so I've always had, and Canute, like we do, right? We have a little bit of an inferiority. We knew we were idiots, right? We were there because we that was a choice. I was just poorly informed. I, I thought oh. ASU was the best well, when I came not. over. Well, it's not. <laughs> So the models are collapsing, right? Like the models are collapsing. Like I'm a celebrity. It's like there's no way that I am now the guy they asked to come speak, right? And then I go to speak yeah. to a venture capital class and I go, guys, this is the top. Now you should not change your major or you should not be embarrassed that you're here. But the fact that you're listening to me at an ASU venture capital class is why venture capital <laughs> is the last place you would want to be right now. But it proves that the network is the thing, because if you want to be a venture capitalist, I can speed this up for you with five names that you could follow, right? Yep. Who are actually prolifically sharing how to be a venture capital without the class. So the fact is there's two things going on, and this goes to the networks and this goes to the models collapsing. I didn't want them to be embarrassed that they were, God bless, they're interested in it. And venture means they're thinking about growth and they're thinking about capital and they're thinking about technology. But they're saying, guys, do not be a venture capitalist. Like, this is a sign. But also, if you want to be a venture capitalist, uh, here's the people that you should be learning from. And the teacher was great. Like, he's an entrepreneur himself. So the fact that there's an ASU venture capital class is both great and bad. And, you know, it's just funny to me. And hopefully people get the joke. Because when I went to ASU, man, to do my MBA, it was with Canute. And it was just some professor selling you his textbook, right? And we just, yeah. we were tuned out from day one, yep. right? We didn't think our, because we were thinking, because we're at ASU, what kind of teachers could they, what kind of great teachers could they get to teach us, right? And we had a bad attitude from day one. We're here. We know why we're here. We suck. Why are you here? Versus Harvard. So, but today I can go in there and be like Rodney Dangerfield to them. Like they hadn't seen this, this class had not seen four of the most important business movies, you know, Wall Street, Back to School, Trading Places. They had never heard of these. They're at their fingertips. So, yeah. uh, so it's really fascinating how fast now I can accelerate that group into a different world. And if they're listening. 
But the the idea of the uh, but, mo- but but hang on, hang on. Let yeah. me jump in there because that's a really important point. What you just got done saying is absolutely true. But the fact is, as you point out, if let's say I'm I live in Kuala Lumpur, but I wanna I wanna learn about this stuff, and I find you on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. And and you're following, and and you give the shout out to those five VCs, right? Right. I get to follow them. And learn from them, just like the kids in your, in your class, right? Correct. More more to the point, I am motivated, right? Because I'm in Kuala Lumpur. I want to I want to move to America and be a venture capitalist, like my my hero Howard uh, Lindsay, mm-hmm. right? Good taste. And so, definitely, there is where this changes dramatically. Yeah. Right. Because what's going to happen is there are I mean, like the the distribution is the distribution, but there are a shit ton of incredibly smart, perseverant people out there who now have tools that they never had before, and they can get access to this same knowledge. And on the teacher issue, I, I will make a crazy prediction, which I'm probably absolutely wrong about, but we'll see. I think 10 years from now, there are going to be whoever the best teachers are in whatever the subject, right? I don't care if it's art or quantum physics. The best teachers are going to be able to command huge annual compensation. Huge. Look at be- Joe Rogan at podcasting. Everybody yeah. should be Joe Rogan. Exactly. He's the first guy that could be worth a billion, like your AI company. Like he's one of the first creators that could be a billionaire. Exactly. We're moving into this thing where, you know, we've always done the lip service to, oh, it's a meritocracy. It's a meritocracy. Now we're going into a real meritocracy. And and the, the teachers who are killer, who are the best in the world, who actually open minds, they're going to have amazing businesses. And of course, there's going to be aggregators that they will figure out a way to give you a diploma from it. Yeah. And it won't be a it won't be a diploma mill. It'll be the real deal because the imperator of these incredible teachers. I mean, imagine like I love physics, right? So if I could just like log on and take a course from uh, Richard Feynman, oh my God! I mean, how much would you pay for that? Yeah, for people who love physics. Well, that's right? why LinkedIn is about to get disrupted. You think it, it could be a bit of Twitter? I don't know if it'll be one company, but we, after fifteen, twenty years, we made a LinkedIn type, and I passed on them forever. But I'm like, okay, like if there was ever going to be a time where your education, like where you could, you're going to have to prove where you went. So there's going to be all kinds of new proof. Like thirty seven hundred people are getting laid off Twitter. Yeah, uh, that's not good enough to just say you worked at Twitter anymore. I need to know what the fuck you did there because yep. we know that story. A ten year train, you know what I mean. So I think there is now coming, and AI will help, and the blockchain will help, but the networks are bringing about uh, some better products. And it's been a you know, it's been a fifteen twenty year cycle. So uh, it's pretty interesting there with respect to collapsing models. I, I want to go back for one sec. Do you, it doesn't change markets per se. The model, do you mean financial models or just other models outside of financial? Uh, I'm, I'm uh, speaking more broadly, actually. Yeah. I'll give you an example. Because the financial models we're learning don't mean anything because 100 times revenue is going to revert to the mean again. 
Yeah, yeah. That's human behavior on top of old models. There was a lot of people saying, well, this time it's different. Well, guess what? It isn't. You know what? You know what is wrong with that phrase, right? What's wrong with it is this time what's going on is different, Correct. right? It wasn't, it wasn't AI back in the 70s. Right. It was, you know, it was um, engulf and devour, the conglomerate. Right, and it and wasn't everything. networks. What, right. What changes is all that stuff. Yep. What doesn't change is human nature. Correct. And the way we react to that shit. That's why markets work as well as they do, right? Yep. Because they are designed to kind of take advantage of that human nature yeah. in, in a kind of a brutal way. Brutal. Honestly. So I, I'll give you one example because, you know, these collapsing models are so interesting, but markets are markets. So so giving the Robin Hood example, this, you know, I was a seed investor and markets were markets, you know, low interest rates, excellent product. And, you know, at the end, mistakes were made. Uh, but now here we are in a hole. So the stock goes from 80 to 10. So I've been, you know, silent as I should be, uh, wrong, you know, at $40, $50, but, you know, exited my position. But, you know, lately I've been telling people, listen, in, in sizing up the markets, this new world means that the next Robin Hood, no one's going to be able to get funded to build that next Robin Hood. So in a way, you have to start picking through the rubble here and find, you know, as models collapse around, you know, higher interest rates, uh, around blockchain, around regulation, that, you know, it's not going to constantly be the next new thing. Meaning Robinhood now has a chance because, first of all, no one can come up from below. And secondly, because the people that might have been scared of them are now 60 times bigger than them and don't have to worry about Robinhood. So this is why markets work so well in the sense that while you're looking for the next Robin Hood, Robin Hood could be the next Robin Hood, whether you like it or not, just because of the way the market dynamics have changed around them. And, and so that's where the opportunity lies and models collapsing means that, but that doesn't mean the, you know, all these people saying the game has changed. It hasn't, you know, behavior is behavior. Yeah. Behavior is behavior, but you're going to have to learn that, you know, like the, this notion of rule books, right? So yesterday, as a good example, I had a, on Infinite Loops, uh, Lulu Misurvi, who is the former head of comms at Substack and, and now has moved on to a, you know, a more important position. But she's a classic example of what I'm talking about. The old rules about corporate communications are broken. They don't work. One of the reasons why I moved everything to social media when I did from traditional media was because I was kind of observing that. And, and this, this whole, you know, as she says, you, you, if you, if you know, the, the old rules of the thought leaders, it, she said it makes people gag, right? And, and she's right. And, and what she, this, this whole era of no comment, of saying shit in the passive voice, it was decided by this nameless, faceless corporation. Oddly, we are reemerging into the period where human beings matter again. And if you don't talk like a human being, people are going to tune you out. They're just not going to listen to you. Yep. Why should they? Right? And so that's a, that's a classic example of we haven't changed, but the old way of dealing with things like corporate communications, for example is changing. And, and if you don't know that, 
you're going to be caught out, right? If, if let's say, you know, your specialty startups, right? If, if you try to run a startup like GE, you're dead. Yeah. You're dead because incumbents are going to just try to stay incumbent. I would too, right? I mean, it makes total sense. Yep. But if you're a startup, if you're a startup, man, you are an insurgent and you have to act like an insurgent. Yeah. And the only way you can do that and distinguish yourself is to be authentic, to be distinctive, and to be uniquely and truly human. Yeah, that is that is so true. Everybody's chiming in on, on this authenticity, and that's why I have such a hard time even with Elon Musk. Like, I, I'm glad it's him taking the bullets for me, but, you know, it ain't authentic. Yeah. And all in podcasts, I mean, I know they have a big audience, and, and God bless them, they're so good at, like, believing their own bullshit, which is what it takes to get to number one in this country, uh, especially now in this world, because to be number one does not mean being number thousand is a lot more fulfilling than being number one. Yeah, if, for sure. If, if you're authentic, I, this, this is the big lie about this. And I, I think if they're playing the game to be number one, they're playing the game well. But if you're playing the game to be authentic, being number one is impossible. Yeah. And, um, when he's not talking politics, I read Bob Lefsetz a lot mm-hmm. because he understands culture in a world before networks. Yeah. And as, as quaint as that sounds and as wrong as he is, he is a lot, if you read him well, he's just seen so much. Those eyes, the AI of his eyes and ears and, and, and nose yeah. um, are worth so much. So, yeah, I think that I, I'd want to get into the new code, but I think summing it up the way you did right there is good enough for today. The authenticity being number thousand, there's a lot of number ones that are going to be in number one thousand, and that's a good number one to be because you're under the radar, and you can still, in this new world of blockchains and Stripe, you can still make a great living being, you know, number one thousand. Totally agree. So, uh, yeah. So, so leverage the tools. I think there's huge change coming, Jim, based on what you said, but also now based on. I think the world is going to see that to succeed in an AI networked and collapsing model world, um, you're going to have to build around Apple, Google, and Amazon. And there is that inkling. We're not there yet, but there is that. And I'm starting a company. You're starting a company. There is that ability to build around them. It's not sexy and it's going to be painful, but there's going to be enough people now that get it that they're not going to build to those three new landlords. And um, I think we're going to look back and go, Phew. you know, we never understood what the blockchain was. And there was these crazy people that thought it should all be decentralized. But I think, you know, in this world of a, a thousand blockchains coming, there's a huge opportunity to to be that one person or that one person, what do you call it, LLC? Yeah. And I think blockchains are a big part of what you're talking about, not just AI. Yeah, actually, blockchains, uh, interestingly enough, also, they're not there yet. They're, they're, they're not technologically refined Correct. enough yet, but when they get refined enough, they're going to solve a lot of the fake problems, a lot of the authentication problems that AI would have to deal with. Yeah. I don't so think they're, building they're, the next Twitter on it is a solution, but building the next one person billion dollar yeah, LLC, exactly. it's going to exactly. be crucial for Because why pay the tax to Apple, Google, or Amazon Exactly. Why it's going to be fifty percent harder to get there on their backs than on a blockchain. Yep, I agree. So, all right, so we agree, Canute. Fantastic. Cut it. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Have you seen a good show? I'm dying. Like it's 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 yes, scarce out yes. there. Give me one good yes. show. The the old man on Hulu. Ooh, it's fucking amazing. You know what I start? Is that what's his name? The actor, uh, great actor. Yeah, Bridges. Okay, I'm excited. It's will really like it? good. Yes, she will. Missy loves it. Yeah, but you know, you and Missy. It's kind of a thriller. Ellen's gonna love it. She's gonna love it. I can't wait. Yeah, it's really. I tricked good. her into going to a hockey game tonight up against the glass. So. <laughs> and I left a helmet and gloves out for her, so I'm just preparing her. The uh, she's a little more gullible than Missy. I love so, it. So, all right, so we're gonna watch Jeff Bridges' Old Man. Yep. Did you see Five Sisters on Apple? I think you would love I, that. I've, I haven't seen it yet. No, I it's fantastic. Uh, cool. And Missy will love it. Five Sisters. Yes, it's on Apple. Yeah. Cool. Best show of the year. Awesome. All right, my man. All right. Uh, next time we're going to talk about the new business, but I can't wait cool. to pimp it. Yeah, sure. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Good to talk to you, Howard. See you, buddy. See ya. Yo. 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 Good old Jim. Jimbo. He's not that old. Doesn't matter. He's 20s. Yeah. He's in his He's 20s. He's in his 20s, just like we are. I think what we're trying to bring me and Jim, and I, I want to do a, a four-person show, I think of Ben Hunt and, and people that really love geeking out, right? even though we're a little bit old, yeah. kind of like the cool guys, the cool mm-hmm. old guys, is we're in our later years. We, we, we have special prostate skills, and uh, <laughs> we have much to share. The, uh, he's, it, there's these peri- I think what people need to know is that you, sometimes you have to sit on the bench. And sometimes sitting on the bench is the best thing that can happen to you because you can think and you don't always have to be doing something. And this, you know, kids are always staring at their phone. I'm like, guys, you don't have to be doing stuff. Sometimes you can just sit. Nothing. Nothing. And that's when the good stuff happens. I feel a lot of things converging and making sense to me. And it took a market kind of crash for it to happen. So as much as, you know, people are stressed out out there. Um, I've been through these so many times and, uh, yes, life is easier for me because I have a little capital and, uh, everybody's healthy. Um, so many good things are happening out there and many trends are about to begin. And so you have to look at this reset, this, this current kind of panic with some clear eyes and, and get in the habit of following some smart people like Jim. All right. Panic with friends. You are listening to Knut, Newt, Knut. And Howard, single word, Howard. No one pronounces it wrong, Canute. So, so don't look up Canute on the internet because you may not find the show. But if you look, search my name, Howard Lindzen, or uh, <laughs> Panic with Friends, no K's in that, uh, you will find me and Newt. But he won't be in that. I'm just saying you have found Newt that way. And then you can subscribe and you will get a podcast. Ping! Every week. You won't have to do anything. And then uh, plug in, lean back. And hopefully laugh and stay a little bit ahead of the world. All right, everybody. See you next week. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.